My name is Kent. I'm glad you're here with us today. I'd like you to think of me as the uh, cook or the host at a meal, and um, you're all invited to come join me for this meal. And we're going to read about it, at least the first part of it, in Luke chapter 22. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn there, or you can open up your phone or your device to find a Bible you like to use, or you can grab a Bible out of the chair. Luke 22. We set a goal at the beginning of the year that we wanted to be better lovers. And now we're focusing on a particular aspect of that love to say, how can we love Jesus better? And we're going to use this passage to help us with that, Luke 22. I'm going to start reading with verse 1, Luke 22, verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and they found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Those last couple verses really jumped out at me this week. Look at those again. Verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I have a very vivid memory of the first time I took my wife, Mary, out on a proper date. I took her to dinner at Applebee's, the one by Lindale Mall, and I can still picture the booth we sat in at the front of the restaurant, and I was facing the door, and she was facing me, and she was absolutely stunning, stunningly beautiful. I do not remember what I ate, but I do remember that it was the most delicious meal I ever ate my entire life. And I also can't remember much of the actual content of our conversation, but I do remember that we sat there for a very, very long time. Actually, some of you know Spicer's, Ashley Spicer was our server, 
and I think she was wondering if we were ever going to leave. When we have a meal with someone and we're starting to fall in love with them, it can be a very intoxicating thing, can it? And if we're having a meal with someone and we love them, um, have sharing a meal with them can actually cause us to go deeper in that love. So you guys know I'm fascinated by all kinds of things like this, and I was wondering if anybody ever did any research on the impact of having a meal with somebody. And lo and behold, they have. And it was actually two researchers at the University of Chicago, and they studied the impact of sharing a meal and what they discovered and actually verified with these little experiments they created was that eating together deepens trust and connection. And it blows my mind how they figure out how to do these little experiments, but after they did it, they found out that Trust and cooperation and connection improve when you share a meal. And there's one little tidbit of useful information. If you're just beginning a relationship with someone and want to make it go deeper, uh, if it's in the formative stages of falling in love, the positive impact of eating together is strengthened if you actually eat the same thing. So if you're out on a date and you want to kind of speed things up a little bit, then just order the same thing your date orders, I think is what they're saying. Now, I bring this up about eating because I noticed something this week when I was studying these passages at the end of the Gospel of Luke that I don't remember ever um, noticing before. So we call the last chapters in each Gospel the Passion Narrative because it's describing the passion of Christ, His final days, what happened as He was um, tried and then crucified and then rose again from the dead. And this week I noticed that the story in Luke, Luke 22 to 24, is bookmarked on both ends by stories about Jesus eating with his disciples. And I never noticed that before. It starts with this passage we just read, Jesus is eating the Passover meal. And he, he, the, the image in this passage is that he's longing, he's really desiring to eat this meal together with them. And then this section of Scripture ends with Jesus First, having a meal with the disciples on the road to Emmaus after they get to their home, he breaks bread with them, remember? And then the very next scene is Jesus meeting with his disciples for the very first time after he's been raised from the dead. It's the first time they see Jesus. He Remember, he says, look at my hands and feet. This verifies that I'm Jesus, that I was the one who was crucified. And then this is the next verse. Jesus says, do you have anything here to eat? And as I'm reading through this this week, this sentence just grabbed my attention and floored me. Do you have anything to eat, Jesus says, after this momentous occasion of him being raised from the dead? And then Luke reports, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it. Doesn't that, does that like startle anybody else? Maybe it's just me. Jesus loved to eat with people. These kind of details seem to be important because the gospel writers bring them up over and over and over again as we read through the gospels. Jesus is constantly eating people. He loves to eat with people. And then they love to eat with him. This happens dozens of times and it's kind of mind-boggling and it kind of geeks me out actually when I think about it. Why was this important for Jesus to eat with people? And why was it so important for the gospel writers to keep telling us about it? 
Jesus having these meals with people? These are the kinds of questions that were eaten away at me this week. And so what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is maybe try to answer the, the question, why does Jesus love to eat with people, and why do they love to eat with him? And I'm going to do that by looking at a bunch of these passages where Jesus is eating with people, and um, you listen to them, and we'll see if we can discover together why this is such an important thing. What I'm hoping happens as I'm preparing this kind of feast of stories about feasting with Jesus is that it does grow our connection with Jesus, grows our trust in Him, and grows our connection to Him. That's what I'm hoping happens just by looking at these passages. So the first one's in Luke chapter 5. If you want to follow along, that'd be awesome. Luke chapter 5. This is the way Luke describes it. Luke 5, starting with verse 27. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to that sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. One of the complaints that Jesus gets throughout his ministry is that he ate with sinners. And this complaint comes largely from the religious kind of institution, religious leaders of that day. In fact, it was one of the reasons why they despised him and rejected him, because they didn't think it was proper to spend so much time eating, hanging out with, dwelling with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus ate with people who this group had defined as the enemy. They were outsiders. They didn't belong. They weren't welcome. And yet, Jesus ate with them. He ate with people nobody else would eat with. Most people wouldn't even invite them into their homes. Jesus was sitting down and having dinner with them. Luke 7. Flip ahead a couple chapters. Another very typical example of Jesus eating, and he's enjoying it, and the people that are eating with him seem to be enjoying it, but not everyone's happy. Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. The meal has been interrupted. This sinful woman doesn't belong there. She comes up behind Jesus and washes his feet. And then a little argument ensues between Jesus and the host about whether or not this was proper, whether it should have been done or not. And then the entire meal blows up because Jesus turns to this woman and says, your sins are forgiven. And that really frustrates the host and all the other religious leaders around the table. And they are wondering, who is this person? 
how can he say, I forgive you? And this actually becomes one of the key charges that gets Jesus crucified. It's blasphemy for Jesus to say this. So this is just an interesting thing. You invite Jesus to dinner and you get a little tension, maybe some forgiveness. It's intriguing to some, but it's infuriating to others. I guess one conclusion might be don't invite Jesus to dinner if you don't want a little bit of tension. Another example, Luke 9. Flip over a couple more chapters. Luke 9. Luke 9, verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to Jesus and they said to him, Send this crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food there because we are in a remote place. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. And they said, we, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go out and buy food for this crowd, about 5,000. But Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. And the disciples did so, and then everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples and distributed them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. I love this phrase, they ate until they were satisfied. Jesus gathered around him hundreds of thousands or thousands and thousands of hungry people, and then he fed them until they were satisfied. He provides bread and fish on a massive scale to the entire crowd. How would you like to host a dinner party like that? And Jesus seems to be enjoying it, every bit of it. And the people did too. Who doesn't like to come to a meal and, hey, get everything, get all you want? Eat until you're full. Eat until you're satisfied. So Jesus enjoys eating with the crowd, but he also enjoy, seems to enjoy eating with just one person. Jump forward to Luke chapter 19. Here Jesus is sharing a meal with just one man, and he seems to get just as much joy as he did when he met with the 5,000. Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was very wealthy. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to come to your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus loves the sinner. He welcomes the outcast. He embraces the untouchable. He pardons the outlaw. He saves the lost. Between salad and dessert. The significance of Jesus' mealtime adventures is really driven home when we get to these kind of final passages of the Passion and we see what's going on with these. 
and maybe helps us understand why Luke would put uh, eating before and after the crucifixion. Jesus has gathered the disciples for the Passover meal, an annual tradition. They're no doubt following the same script that they have followed every year when they've celebrated the Passover. They're remembering that Jesus has delivered the people from Egypt. Remember the ten plagues with a special focus on the tenth, which was you put some blood of the lamb on your doorpost and then God will pass over your house and spare your firstborn child. This is the thing that they're celebrating. They're going through this. In the middle of the Passover, Jesus changes the script. In the middle of dinner. And suddenly he's not talking about Egypt anymore and God's deliverance from slavery. He's talking about himself and how God will use him to deliver his people. Listen again. I'm going to start reading in Luke 22, just after the passages where we were reading before. Luke 22:14. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of this vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And Jesus has just disrupted another meal by pointing his disciples to God's plan to save them with his body broken, his blood shed. And as can sometimes happen at mealtime, the disciples aren't paying attention. And so the next thing we read is this. A dispute arose among them as to which one was to be considered the greatest. And you have to imagine that Jesus is shaking his head at this point. They still, after all this time, don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is about. He's just washed their feet. He's just shared this meal with them. He's just pointed to sacrificing his body for them. And they're arguing about who is the greatest. So Jesus has to reel them back in. Verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table. Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. And it's about eating again. It's about this meal. It's about this kingdom banquet. Jesus keeps pointing them back to this. Jesus loves to eat with people, and people love to eat with Jesus because Jesus eating with them is all about the kingdom. It's about God breaking into this world. And this very thing that got Jesus in trouble with the Pharisees and the religious leaders because he was having this meal with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He was having these people with the unsavory, the outcast, the unwelcomed. This is the very thing that points us to a picture of God's kingdom coming. 
And the reason we know God's kingdom is coming is because Jesus is eating with these kind of people. Jesus had this reputation among the religious establishment for being a glutton and a drunkard because he was eating with these people who were gluttons and drunkards and sinners. The religious establishment insisted that Jesus' table fellowship, his eating these meals with these people, was enough to condemn him. It was enough to send him to the cross. It made him worthy of death. Jesus insisted that eating with sinners was absolutely essential, essential to demonstrate and proclaim this is what God's kingdom is like. Jesus eating these meals turned the world upside down. Uh, theologian Gordon Smith wrote a great book about this called A Holy Meal, and this is just kind of his conclusion from the whole book. He says, eating was for Jesus a key means by which he proclaimed the coming of God's reign. We know that God is coming to bring his kingdom on earth because Jesus ate these meals with people, and he loved to do it, and they loved to eat with him. When Jesus ate with the marginalized and fed the hungry and welcomed the outcast and loved the broken and freed the oppressed and forgave the sinner, he was proclaiming and demonstrating this is what God's kingdom is like. He was proclaiming and demonstrating anyone is welcome in the kingdom. Anyone is invited into the kingdom. And we know it's true because he sat down at the table with them and ate. In Jesus, everyone is welcome so everyone can come to the table. Tax collectors, prostitutes, outcasts, sinners, and you and me, we're welcome. And I don't know about you, but that geeks me out, and it makes me love Jesus a little bit more. Lord God, I give you thanks for these truths that we've been able to look at today. Thank you for your word that reveals to us some more about Jesus. And God, I just want to proclaim my love for you and my gratitude to you in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, that's a cute apron, Kent. I really love seeing you in that. And what a, what a uh, thought-provoking message we've just heard. Jesus loves to eat with the people that he loves. And I need to have more dinner dates with Jesus. That's what I'm kind of taking away from this. How about you? As you look over that list in your bulletin of those, those seven points of the things that Kent just mentioned that, that Jesus did during those dinner moments with people, I can see myself in all of those. I need to be forgiven and welcomed and fed and loved and freed and served, celebrated. 
And so as I, as I hear today's message and thinking about the next step in my life, I'm thinking about how, how, can I, um, how can I make my own table, my own family table, a place where I recognize Jesus is with me every day. As I sit there with my family and as we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread or some other prayer at our table. Um, isn't it great that we can invite Jesus to continue this mealtime fellowship with us? Just like we do every month when we have the Lord's Supper. Jesus left this kind of symbolic reminder that we celebrated last Sunday that he wants to keep eating with us, with the people that he loves. So, And, and we have some great opportunities right now as a church to uh, expand this idea of eating with Jesus who wants to eat with the people that he loves. For example, these Lenten meals that we're having. Jesus is there, and uh, he wants us to join him there and to bring someone along to join us all there uh, so that he can uh, show that grace to people that he loves. So looking at that list again, can you think of anybody that needs to be welcomed into Jesus' family or forgiven or loved or freed of in some way in their life. Um, that's a person that you might consider inviting to your own table to meet with you and Jesus or to invite to our church table on Wednesday night when we celebrate uh, the Lenten series or next Sunday when we have open table after worship at 12 o'clock. These are all opportunities to put into practice today's wonderful lesson from the Gospels. So let's, uh, let's all try to eat with the one who loves to eat with us. And now I would like to <clears throat> invite Darlene to come up because Darlene is going to share some other things that have to do with eating. Jesus loved the poor, and they were often the recipients of his invitations. And he's asked us to also feed the poor and bless those in need. Darlene is representing our food pantry open hands, right, is what we call it. So tell us what's happening and how we can pray for that. Okay, my name is Darlene DeVries, and I'm the leader of the Open Hands Food Pantry here at church. Um, I've worked in the pantry some way, shape, or form for probably about the last five or six years, and it has truly become a passion in my heart to be able to help these people. Um, in some way, shape, or form, they've had bad things happen in their life. They've lost a job or loved one or something. And it's, it's sad when they can't put food on their table for their family, for their children. And I am thankful that we are here, that that's something we can do, that we can at least provide a couple of, of good, nutritious meals for them. Um, and to also make it happen, there's a lot of people that help in the pantry behind the scenes. Um, Bagging, going to Haycap, going to Hy-Vee, um, helping us to bring food from the loop building up here and, and stock shelves. So if you have had a part, a job, done anything for the pantry in any way, shape, or form, I'd like to have you stand up. So I know there's a lot of people that aren't here. It's a thin crowd. but And uh, we couldn't make it happen without you guys either. It, it's not a one-person show. It's definitely a team. And, we, and I appreciate all of you. We, we do. We couldn't do it without you. Um, we also are very thankful for all the donations we get. We get a lot of food donations from you, cash donations. Um, 
I kind of feel like the food does no good on the shelf. It, it, it needs to get out to the people. And, uh, and if the shelves look a little thin sometimes, a little short, uh, we truly believe that God will fill them up again. And he always has. We've always had plenty of things to give out. Um, meat, eggs, milk, food. Um, we purchase paper products, diapers, all kinds of things that, that kind of um, dish soap, laundry soap that help the household, not only in food, but just to make it run. Um, we This past two months, uh, we had a lot of snow days. When the schools are, are closed in town, then we are too. So, But even in uh, January and February, we served 1,350 people, and that amounts to about 440 families that came through our doors. And um, we, we really, it warms my heart, and I know everybody else too, that, that we can greet them uh, prayers that we can always greet them with a smile on our face, the right words to say, a prayer if, if that's what's needed also. We've, we've had people come in tears, and uh, we hold their hands and we say a prayer, and, and hopefully God has touched their hearts too. Um, we've had different groups come in. I've had a couple of Girl Scout uh, troops come in and uh, to get their badges and their pro- uh, projects and things like that. Um, to learn about the food pantry. What do we do? How does it work? How many people come? Um, so we show them go through the bags and, and different things, um, what we do when they walk in the door. And so that's always kind of fun for me. It's like uh, I'm glad that even our young people come and, and they want to know what we're doing, what we can do to help people. Um, so uh, I guess... I would like to invite people to, we're always looking for volunteers, and what I would also like to do is, if the food pantry's open and you want to stop by and see what we do, it's not like you have to stay for two hours or anything like that, stop by and just come in the door and see what we do. Um, Nothing too difficult, busy, but but easy to do, and um, just come see us. And uh, I appreciate everything that all of you do, and like I said, in donations and, and things like that. And, and I hope that you'll always remember us in your prayers and uh, that we can be here and, and do the right thing for these people. Darlene, we appreciate so much your leadership in this ministry and all the other leaders that stood up here that are helping. And we want to pray for this ministry now, and as well as for all the ministries of our church, but especially for this one, that we could um, see God continue to bless this, because it's a wonderful way to uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus. So let's bow our heads as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son into the world to reveal your love not just in spiritual ways, but even in physical ways of touching our lives. Jesus came to eat with us, to heal our diseases, as well as to bless our souls. And God, thank you that you've called us to share in this ministry of loving others in the world with your love. Lord, we don't take any credit for this. This is your love and your grace that you've already given us and 
We simply want to pass it on in different ways. So God bless this ministry, the Open Hands Food Pantry. We ask you to bless every person that walks through these doors every week to, um, to find supplies for their family. And we pray that their physical and their spiritual needs would be met as they come here. That they would not only find food for their 